Hello and a warm welcome to this edition of the Africa Legal Podcast. This week I am very pleased to be joined by Jocelyn Femba. Now, Jocelyn's contribution to the legal profession has already been recognised in great form at the African Legal Awards just last month, where she was bestowed with the Partner of the Year Award at the tender age of 27. Now, the African Legal Awards, if you're not familiar, are hosted by Legal Week, the Corporate Council of uh, Corporate Council Association of South Africa and Africa Legal. Jocelyn is an admitted attorney of the High Court of South Africa and holds an LLB from the University of Witwatersrand. The firm was established in 2019, but has already demonstrated a track record of competence and a clear dedication to innovative input into the legal profession. Jocelyn, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Hi, Thomas. Thank you so much for having me. It is great to be here. At the outset, I would just like to express my gratitude to Africa Legal for creating this platform, for sharing ideas and for inspiring thought and change in the legal world, particularly in Africa, where I would say that this is most needed. I've been following Africa Legal uh, for a very long time and since I was a student, actually. So to be an interviewee on the show is truly remarkable. So thank you. Oh, absolute pleasure. Now, let, let's dive into some very interesting questions, and I hope some even more interesting answers. Now, when I was researching for this podcast, uh, you know, I obviously started on your website, and you unashamedly refer to a myriad of challenges that you faced in founding the firm. But I'm interested, which of these really stand out as the challenges you're most proud to have overcome? I was really proud to have been shortlisted in the category, but I must emphasize how the win really and truly swept me off my feet. I really was surprised um, at winning the award, considering my age, my background, and the duration for which I've been active in the legal industry in, in South Africa. The main reason why I am so blown away is for the mere fact that my personal circumstances never envisaged that I would ever be partner of the year. The message that can be taken from this is that success is predicated on hard work, on long hours, and on emotional persistence, and not on your circumstances. The skills that I've kept as a tool for my own personal successes and that of the firm are resilience, perseverance, and on the determination and capacity to succeed despite obstacles being placed on my path those obstacles being socioeconomic circumstances, the lack of opportunity and constantly not fitting in because of those circumstances. So just to create some context, at the time of my nomination, I had only been a partner at the firm for a period of about seven months, but I had already made a very hard effort to bring to life what I had imagined was possible during my early years of practice being during my articles of clerkship and the first year of practice, which was done at another firm, which was also a small firm. From the onset, I set out to demonstrate a track record of competence and a clear dedication to innovative output into the legal profession. So on the surface, my entire journey to becoming a lawyer 
and which has led to this point in my life took a relatively short time. For me, though, it has been a lifetime in the making. I realize now that my initial disappointments, so every detour, every other job, and every other field of interest which I pursued were just preparing me for moments much like these. Now, when I walk into a courtroom, because my practice is primarily based in in litigation, when I engage with clients or when my efforts result in successes and I see the physical impact that it has on people's lives, I'm always taken aback by how this one simple act, which may perhaps be taken for granted by someone whose journey um, who may not have been as lengthy or has uh, convoluted as my own, means a great deal to me. At this point in my career, I know that no experiences, no delays, no challenges or detours are ever wasted. Once you have committed to your journey, you always end up at the right destination. So the progress that I've made as a partner at the firm has come very rapidly, but at the same time is very welcomed. I also wish to highlight the fact that I come from a previously disadvantaged background. So my university education was funded through part-time work, which was quite difficult to maintain, but I also had bursary funding, which, which carried me through. I am the first graduate in my entire family, including extended family, and my chosen path has been an incredibly challenging road to endure. Coming from an extended family of people who suffer from poverty and alcoholism, I've become an advocate for the changes that I wanted to see so badly in my early life. I opened up my own practice 15 months after being admitted as an attorney. And prior to this, I was retained at the firm that I did articles with. And thereafter, I decided to accept an in-house position in the corporate space. I am quite passionate about the practice of law and everything associated with it, including being in court. So naturally, my tenure as an in-house legal counsel, as much as I, you know, it was a very rich experience and I learned so much there, it only lasted three months. I resigned from the position after being offered a position at a new law firm, which did not work out for me either. And I sat and I thought about this. And after much introspection, I realized that perhaps my experiences were pushing me into becoming independent. I've always had very strong leadership skills. And as a pervading result, I've always endeavored to have my own business. I didn't expect it to to, to come into fruition so soon into my career, but I most certainly um, think that it happened at the exact point of my readiness to do so. The reason I say that is because as early as it was, I took on my responsibilities as a firm owner quite naturally. Um, my experience was aligned to the demands of the role that I now had to occupy. And there was much learning to do. No one should ever conclude their learning experience, but going out on my own, notwithstanding the inherent difficulties of starting a new business, it really was a breath of fresh air. So I knew that I was ready when I had nowhere else to turn because all of the plans I was making in my life at that particular point in time were gravitating 
and pushing me in the direction of me starting my own firm. Most people I knew always asked me the burning question, if not, why not? And why do tomorrow what you can do today? So I knew that I was ready because I felt ready. I wasn't reliant on my circumstances to make me feel ready because in all earnestness, I don't think that anyone can ever truly be 100% ready to take that fall and take that risk and start a business. Jocelyn, there's some fantastic advice absolutely sprinkled across that that response. And I think that a lot of our listeners will will you know, have some very, very useful takeaways there. And I must say how, how impressed I am. You know, you, you, you have managed to fit so many experiences, positive and negative into a relatively short period of time and, and embraced the positive ones and made sure that the negative ones were merely a guiding hand rather than a, a, a hand that slaps as it were. So, so, very, very impressive indeed. And I'm interested, you know, it took a lot of changes and it took a lot of, you know, almost fateful occurrences that you refer to. But I'm interested in what advice would you have to other young attorneys who might be thinking about going it alone or, or founding their own practice? Look, this year has been particularly challenging because many legal professionals have had to find innovative ways to navigate their roles in the new normal. Many firms have been forced to change their models, to work virtually and to rely more heavily on technology to meet their research and their um, practice needs. I've spent a long time evaluating and re-evaluating this. For me, operating my practice has been a living outlet of an examination of every aspect of practice that had failed in the past in my experience. And a justification that those ways are outdated. Um, so when COVID arrived um, and when my practice was still developing, I was already somewhat prepared for the challenges that it would bring, theoretically speaking. In my experience and at, at um, university level, the overall foresight amongst my fellow students appeared to be incredibly narrow in that everyone had their eyes on the big law firms. There was also a huge presence of the big law firms at law school. And so naturally students were drawn towards this. Um, my advice will follow from this, but I just want to create some context into um, the advice that I will give. I secured a position in the vacation programs at three of the five big law firms. I also had my sights on other institutions such as the Office of the Public Prosecutor, the Department of Justice, and some boutique law firms. It has always been incredibly important to me that I gain valuable experience. To me, that means getting comprehensive exposure and learning the practical difficulties of my profession through making my own mistakes. So I worked throughout university outside of law and in practice. I shadowed an advocate. I got involved in several vacation programs, and I even worked for a judge of the high court. After graduating, I also secured articles with a smaller firm, and it was probably the best decision that I made for my career. I received the practical exposure that I wanted. I was exposed to the experience of being a lawyer and not just one who makes photocopies, who indexes and paginates, but I actively sought that. And that's why I received it at a fundamental juncture in my career. I definitely ended up in the place that I wanted to be. And I feel that I was incredibly fortunate to have done that. 
many excellent lawyers are not so fortunate, in, particularly in South Africa, and are overlooked by the firms of their choice. In the same breath, many graduates end up at the firm or organization of their choice and are placed in areas of practice that they don't um, particularly enjoy. Um, they are placed there as a result of demand. It always appears to be a catch-22, but like many situations in life, the saying goes, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. Having said that, um, my advice is, is that the law profession does not bend to the will of any graduate or any prospective candidate attorney. Um, articles is a very full, fulfilling experience and every environment has its advantage, advantages. For me, um, I feel that the experience that I gained really prepared me for starting my own business. Um, there are no guarantees, but the best advice that I would offer anyone looking to enter the profession and to become an entrepreneur specifically is to get as much experience and as much exposure as early as possible. Do vacation work, shadow an attorney, um, an advocate, a prosecutor, or a judge. Look for work everywhere that it can be found, and you will stand out from the thousands of other firms that you will be competing with for work. The number one lesson I have learned is patience. Patience is very painful and it's very arduous, but it is a constant requirement throughout life. As a business owner, I have had to learn to be patient with myself, with the system that I had found myself in, and with the process in general. The same thing applies to my journey as an entrepreneur thus far. You know, I've heard the saying repeated so many times that Rome was not built in a day and therefore excellence will manifest itself in due course if you exert what is required. The other lesson I can relay is that discipline is, is incredibly critical. Anyone looking to enter any profession, especially as an entrepreneur, must be dedicated and must be disciplined. For me, the only way to become an expert, and in my opinion, is to put in the hours. Practice your talent until you've mastered it and you will not go wrong. The sacrifices that you make along the way insofar as discipline is concerned will be well worth the victory when you arrive there. The other thing and the last thing that I'd like to highlight on with regards to this question is, is pay attention to the details and do what you can with what you have. I had very little when I decided to start a law firm. I had a computer, I had a cell phone, an internet connection, and a court gown. So I've learned to be a prudent entrepreneur, and I've learned to work with what I have. Some fantastic insight there, Jocelyn. I think, you know, let, let's try and summarize this. I think, you know, we're, we're saying go out and seek as much experience as you can, but always look at that experience as a tool for finding out what works for you and what drives your passion rather than just another tick box exercise. So, you know, when you're shadowing an advocate, don't just think of it as great. Now I can list that on my CV, you know, look into what you liked, what you didn't like really do do a critical analysis of these experiences so that it can feed into your own decision-making um, to, 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 to summarize. I, also think your advice around detail is is absolutely fundamental and the patience point is incredibly relevant you know we are constantly being exposed to how you know if success needs to come now and it needs to come quickly but it it doesn't always work like that and it is those that 
pursue their own ambitions in a concerted but practical and patient manner who do well rule the day. And I think you're a great example of that. But but moving on, Jocelyn, you you highlight honesty as a cornerstone of your practice. And I find it a strange situation where we are in a profession that still needs to highlight this as a vital or necessary trait of, of business and to explicitly mention it. Why do lawyers or why did you feel the need to explicitly mention rigorous honesty in your branding? You know, and where do you see dishonesty still lingering in the practice of law? Indeed, Thomas, it, it is quite strange how often it needs to be highlighted. But in my view, it is absolutely necessary to highlight honesty for two reasons. The first reason being the prevalence of non-compliance with it. And the second being the need to uphold the integrity of the profession. I also think that the answer to that question um, lies in an analysis of the ethics and the practices of lawyers and their culture. One of the classic questions asked by people who teach and who write about lawyers is, can one be both a good lawyer and a good person simultaneously? One thing that has really stood out for me in my encounters with interpreting and applying the law is that there are consequences for not living a life of integrity, for not living a life of honor, of simplicity, of good nature, and of kindness. I have always aimed at being an excellent attorney and a remarkable person. What the law does is it often operates as a voice of sense and a voice of reason when there is conflict. And it is also a respected middle ground where people are most obliged to be or are almost obliged to to be temperate. I do believe that people become better people and that people become more virtuous people by working with other good people on projects of consequence. And that is the culture that I'm looking to establish in the firm. Through this device and through the privilege of having worked with so many virtuous lawyers, I'm a better person today than I was when I met all of those people and a better person than I was before all of my encounters in the profession. So apart from the skills that I've gained through my experience, working with people teaches you how to live an examined life. It teaches you how critical empathy and how important Ubuntu, uh, that's what we call it here in South Africa, is for the well-being of humanity. So you know the law and you fight your clients' battles for them like a champion jousting in contest. You become competitive and you become good at winning, but you also learn how critical honesty is. Unfortunately, and one of the reasons this is still a lingering topic of discussion is because many lawyers find themselves in the realm of unethical behavior such as dishonesty and dealing with client funds, getting the upper hand in matters by employing methods that are not honorable, misappropriating money, um, misrepresentation, to name a few. Essentially, what I take from my own experience is that being a good lawyer doesn't mean that you have to surrender your morals. The culture of the firm and the life of the firm is premised upon the fact that the legal profession does not often have 
a good reputation. But if there is one thing that your listeners take from this today, it should perhaps be that being successful and being morally sound are not mutually exclusive. Those two things can occupy the same space at the same time. And cultivating a sense of right and wrong is much easier said than it is done. That is why professionals have to declare that they're fit and proper before entering the profession. Um, matched against the complex demands of the real world, it is in these difficult times that you know people find the, or attorneys find themselves working the hardest to develop a sense of right and wrong for the years yet to come. I was once told that, and this might seem like a bit of a, an extreme statement to make, but the message behind it is important. Um, I was told that it is more acceptable to murder your opponent in open court than to lie to your opponent to the court or to your client. And I'm sure we're going to take that nice and figuratively, yes. but the the, <laughs> the, the the point can stand. And Alyssa, I think I think the point to be made here is it 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 should change over time. The need to be explicit in our statements of honesty. Uh, you know, in, in the profession of law, if there are enough young attorneys who build honesty and honorability as a real linchpin to their own practices, soon those that do still dwell in the realms of dishonesty and, 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 and dishonorable practice will just fade away because the benefits that are realized by the clients when they are being represented by attorneys who are vigorously honest will will stand out you know the benefits of that will stand out and it is the clients at the end of the day who who finance this operation and another another change or a, 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 you know another example of you being quite the raconteur actually is you seem to be very focused on unshackling both the firm and your clients from that most established of legal cornerstones, the billable hour. And your slogan is indeed results, not hours. So tell us how this translates in practice. Thank you for that question. Um, the firm's slogan is one that I have given extensive thought, research and consideration with, you know, bearing in mind the changing demands of the value-driven market, the needs of my prospective clients and my existing clients, the rules by which we are regulated in South Africa, um, together with the deficiencies in the legal system, particularly the slowness and the efficiency of our civil and criminal court systems due to being overburdened, and how clients tend to suffer for that, even with legal representation. A further consideration is the tendency of legal professionals to bill at high rates and provide access to real results at very low rates and the costs of those inefficiencies. All of the factors that I have taken into consideration, in my opinion, have very serious consequences and are also very damaging to our economic competitiveness as lawyers, as well as to the rights of clients, particularly those who are less fortunate. According to the empirical evidence that I have come across and considered, 
many clients get little or no satisfaction from traditional and outdated systems of legal practice. The first way in which I have paved the way in South Africa uh, for the promotion of the accessibility of law and legal practice is by making legal information more readily available to the public and to the clients I serve. Now, I am critical of the use of billable hours in our current climate as inefficient, as needlessly punitive and as susceptible to abuse. As such, the firm's structure has been built to address the foregoing problem. So I've demonstrated to my clients that we can be good stewards by insisting on value in legal spend. By value, I mean predictability, as difficult as that can be in certain circumstances, such as in litigation matters, um, but others such as cost effectiveness and efficiency. Quality is, is assumed in, in taking this approach, but one of the innovative processes which we've introduced to our firm is an organized and a digitized system of onboarding, which places the transactional risk on the legal practitioner and not on the client. Um, the process would be following a specific procedure for onboarding, which would manage the client's expectations at the outset and avoid subjecting them to a lengthy and disappointing process of only finding out the probable legal outcomes at the conclusion of a matter when they've already spent considerable amounts of money on that process. The, you know, the, the billable hour and strictly applying it as it is, in my opinion, is an archaic business practice which lacks any connection to what an employee contributes to the client or the firm, especially from a human resource perspective. I feel that it is a business practice which doesn't support the growth and success of our firms so much. And even worse, it is actively hurting our firms. So in accordance with that, my vision is to nurture legal talent that is familiar with technology and is open to applying creative solutions to a changing business world. What I've noticed, you know, being 27 years old and speaking to many of my colleagues, young talent is increasingly despondent with the current traditional model. The processes that we adopt at our firm have demystified um, the law and approaches to billing for both, you know, our human talent as well as to our clients. So the introduction of innovation here means that the shift in our values and our approach to clients is different. Um, I feel that the shift is an intellectual advance and is also objectively better in accomplishing the purpose of, of the law. So results, not ours, says to clients that customer excellence is at the front and the center and that we will keep exploring ways in which we can leverage off the disruptive power of forward thinking um, when it pertains to problems. And that will leapfrog us all to move forward. Jocelyn, I'm I'm very happy with that answer for, for two principal reasons. Firstly, is the level of detail that you were able to go into when we when we talk about you know results, not ours. It's very easy for a firm to say, oh yes, and we're we're open to the idea of uh, invoicing in alternative ways, you know, fixed fee arrangements and so on and so forth. 
but usually it's done quite flippantly and it's done very rarely. Whereas it really does sound like this is something that the firm is, is, is embedding into the very core of your, your operations and your culture. And the, the second reason why I'm pleased is I think it's indicative of what you've addressed there and the need to change to attract and retain the right young legal talent coming through and not, not just retain in a prison like form but to bring joy back to the practice of law into the into the minds and into the experiences of young attorneys and it is going to take fundamental changes such as how we bill how we record time how we work with clients to to encourage that and drive that joy back into the into the practice so so very, very happy, very pleased with with the detail that you're able to provide there, um, and 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 I, I must say that that very surprisingly bring us to time, Jocelyn. Um, so I will say thank you very much once again for for joining us, and I will, as always, uh, impart a very big thank you to all of our listeners. Um, as always, I encourage you to take a look at the back catalogue of the Africa Legal Podcast, which is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And do not forget to visit us at africalegal.com for all the news, views, and insights that make your life as an African legal professional better. So without further ado, I have been Tom Pearson, and this has been the Africa Legal Podcast. <laughs>